Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. The list of all time worst cars wouldn't be complete without the infamous Yugo. Yes, it was an objectively bad car, but that's not the whole story. In fact, the Yugo was, at one time, a sensation. And Yugo America was actually its founder's greatest success. Many think of the Yugo as a punchline to a joke, but the car also helped usher in an era of industrialization and greater prosperity for millions of people in the communist bloc. So why did so many people hate it? Today on Past Gas... What's the real story behind what's perhaps the most notorious car flop of all time? Is this a story about failure or something else entirely? Could there be something redeemable about a 45 horsepower jalopy built in the backwoods of Serbia? The story of the Yugo starts now. Past Gas Podcast. It's about cars, it's not about ports. You Let's go. Get into it. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. Let's you go, girl. Let's get into it. You go. No, I'll go. Let's both go. <laughs> Let's both go. Let's both go together. Let's both go together. <laughs> Are you ready yet? Are, Are you, you ready yet? <laughs> <laughs> Are you ready yet? Seriously, I'm outside. <laughs> I'm annoyed. <laughs> I right, told everyone. you I was on my way. <laughs> We're talking about the Yugo this week. I now I realized as I was reading the intro, it's possible a lot of our younger listeners have no reference point for what the Yugo is. Yeah. We've done a couple of videos on it, but like I don't know, it's kind of fallen out of the the car zeitgeist. Unless they've gone far back in the Simpsons. That's fair. That's right. Yeah. Like when, I, when we were kids or when I was a kid, you guys are still kids. 
the Yuga was like an easy joke. Yeah. Right? It was like an easy joke for a stupid car. A lot of that was probably Cold War propaganda. But like, yeah, on The Simpsons, the Yugo, it sucks. Like, what's the worst car ever? A Yugo. So many jokes uh, were made on the back yeah. of this car. I don't think I ever really saw one in real life, but I knew that it was like a bad car. I don't think I've ever seen one. No. I don't think I've ever seen one. I know that there nowadays there's kind of like a devoted, there's a small group of people online that are definitely devoted to this car. Uh, yeah, that's Yugo so collectors. weird. <laughs> I never thought that would happen, that... A small group of people would take this car. Max Maddox is going to buy one of these. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely a Max Maddox car for sure. Uh, Yuri from the Straight Pipes would probably love one of these. Yeah. Yuri from the Straight Pipes probably has a bunch of tabs open. (laughs) (laughs) Looking for you guys. I'm trying to move my tastes away from uh, ironic. Ironic cars. Yeah. And just focus on cool cars. Thank you, Joe. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that means a lot to me. There's a lot of guys at Donut who really enjoy ironic cars. And there's a reason that people agree that certain cars are very good and cool. And like, there's, there's not a lot that are slept on. Yeah. So I think there's like this want to find slept on cars mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and there's really not a lot of them. So I'm sorry to burst your bub. Like you're not going to find a secret car that nobody knows about. They're all expensive. Everything cool is expensive. A Saturn Ion Redline is not cool. <laughs> Whoa, dude. <laughs> dude, when mine runs 11s at the strip, you're going to be thinking twice about that. Yeah, when you're handing dude. over your pink, you're going to be <laughs> yeah. rethinking. When I take your Lamborghini Reventon pink slip with my Saturn, when you you're going to be second. Diablo Yalpa. Yeah, that's right. In purple. <laughs> that Nolan's parents are currently purchasing. No. <laughs> no. Really? No, they went to an auto museum in Milan and saw one. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, they were like, James, do you want this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, they're buying it. Oh. Wow. I was like, yeah. yeah. Like, oh, my God. You're, you're, I, you're my favorite son. I was like, whoa. <laughs> All right. They were like, Scott don't, said that? Don't tell no. Yeah, Scott yeah. was like, <laughs> shouts to Scott. 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 I'm outside, Scott. <laughs> we should get going because Scott is outside. Yeah. <laughs> Scott he told me is he- not a dad's name. He told me he was uh, in in town, but uh, he didn't hit me up. So now I know where he's at. Yeah, uh, I mean, we have plans. Yeah, yeah. He's probably we got a, really we got a lot of stuff to do, and it really doesn't. <laughs> yeah, make sense to include you. Right. Yeah. I mean, I've spent so much time with him already in the past. That's kind of what he said. He's, he's taking <laughs> he's taking James car shopping at the Peterson. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, don't tell Nolan, but I'm fucking loaded. <laughs> He's like, I want, I want him to be my blue color son, <laughs> and you can be my Jaden. <laughs> I was like, thanks, Scott. <laughs> he was like, I'm Kid Cudi. Like, Whoa. <laughs> All right, that was good. Yeah, let's get into this Yugo. From the perspective of those who built it, the Yugo wasn't a failure at all. Specifically, employees of a company named Zastava 
located in Kragujevac, Yugoslavia. Zastava was an industrial conglomerate that brought, among other things, automobile production to the people of Yugoslavia. And by the mid-1980s, they employed one out of every four residents in Kragujevac. The Zastava factory originally grew out of Serbia's first cannon factory, which was initially established in 1853. There, locals cranked out cannons and other weaponry for the Serbian army during conflicts with the Turks in 1878, Bulgaria in 1912 and 1913, then again in World War I. If you know your military history, you'll remember that that particular global mess was started when a clandestine group of Serbian military officers called the Black Hand recruited three students to assassinate Archduke Franz Ferdinand. Well, they, they missed the first time. And then they were like, all right, let's go get a cup of coffee. And then just so happened that Archduke Franz Ferdinand, uh, the driver took a wrong, wrong turn mm-hmm. and drove right past the cafe. What was the guy's name? Do you remember? The, oh, the assassin? Yes. Oh, man. I know it's on the tip of my tongue. What is it? Gavrilo Princip. Yes, Princip. There's a band called Franz Ferdinand. Yes, and they're great. Well, are they? I like them a lot. Yeah. Their first album, at least, is amazing. What was their <clears throat> single? Take, Take Me, me out. out. Take Me Out. Take Me Out Tonight. Yeah. Somebody told me that you were my boyfriend and I am your girlfriend. I heard, but, uh, I'd like everybody. to take you out tonight. <laughs> anyway, the ensuing war, World War One, was disastrous for Serbia from an economic and humanitarian perspective. But they ended up on the winning side, along with the U.S. and Britain. Under the terms of victory, Serbia was awarded control over Slovenia, Bosnia, and Croatia, among other areas, and thus Yugoslavia, meaning land of the southern Slavs, was born. Life in Yugoslavia didn't get any more peaceful after the end of World War I. During the 1930s, the factory in Kragujevac became known as the Military Technical Works. Yugoslavia was surrounded by enemies and also dealt with constant unrest in the Croatian region. So, 12,000 factory workers set about building pistols, rifles, machine guns, mortars, hand grenades, and eventually, Yugoslavia's first domestically assembled car. Beginning in 1940, Military Technical Works built licensed G105 military trucks from Chevy. The factory had previously assembled buses and heavy machinery, but this was the very first Yugoslav car. The reason for the country's late entry into automotive manufacturing was simple. Cars are expensive, and Yugoslavia was quite poor. In 1937, the country's average yearly per capita income was $80. Wait, that's the year? That's, yes. I make that in less than 10 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) It was less than half of the European average at the time. Meanwhile, the cheapest cars at the time also cost between $500 and $700, So even if Yugoslavia made cars, hardly any of its citizens could afford to buy one. Oh, it's 1937. That's why. Yeah. Mickey Mouse was still driving a boat. (laughs) (laughs) A dreadful economy stopped being Yugoslavia's greatest concern when, in 1941, Hitler invaded Yugoslavia. Needless to say, these were some pretty bad times. Over 1.7 million Yugoslavs died during World War II. And meanwhile, in Kragujevac, the military technical works was captured and disassembled, 
All that remained was a truck repair shop and an assembly line for small arms. But for all of Yugoslavia's suffering, they also ran perhaps Europe's most effective guerrilla resistance against Hitler. Most notably, a communist revolutionary named Josip Broz Tito led a group of resistance fighters called the Yugoslav Partisans. Tito's group was so successful that at the end of the war, the Soviet Union installed him as the leader of the new Socialist Federal Republic of Yugoslavia, and he ended up staying on the job for 36 years. I love his vodka. (laughs) However, in the early days of his long reign, things looked a little on the rocks for Tito. Yeah, like Tito's on the rocks. Sounds delicious. Tito worried that Stalin would invade and depose him, so he moved weapons production to a highly defensible area in the Bosnian mountains. What does this have to do with cars? Well, that invasion never happened, but Tito's maneuvering left the good people of Kragujevac without anything to do with their factory, which had been rebuilt after World War II. So the government officials in charge decided to make cars and renamed the factory Krevna Zastava Works, which means Red Flag Works. Yes, the name of the company that made the Yugo was a literal red flag. It was actually in honor of the symbolic red flag of communism, but clearly the universe was not on the Yugo's side. For all Tito's flaws as an authoritarian leader, Yugoslavia was much more open to the West than other communist countries. So Zastava issued a public call looking for an automaker to partner with in either Western Europe or America. They wanted full production rights to a Western car, not just the rights of assembly. Six companies responded. Fiat, Renault, Alfa Romeo, Rover, Austin, and Delahaye. Stava Hmm. chose Fiat because they offered the rights to several different models. The two-door 1400 and 1900 coupes, a large transport truck, a tractor, and a Jeep-like military vehicle called the Campalonia. Over the next two decades, this deal would help Zastava become one of the largest auto manufacturers in the world. Fiat invested $30 million to help build a new 150,000 car capacity factory in Kragiavitz, which opened July 6, 1962. By that point, Zastava was primarily making a rebranded version of the Fiat 600, which the company called the Zastava 750. The public, on the other hand, affectionately nicknamed the car FICA or Little Fiat. So they just bought a Fiat model and Fiat invested in them and they're just going to produce this Fiat 600? Mm-hmm. Well, they're going to produce like a number of Fiats. And just rebrand them as uh, Zastavas? Yeah, it's like the FRS PRZ. The Fika was a tiny coupe with a four-cylinder, 767cc engine, clocking in at 10 feet, 5 inches long. But That's a was, short car. But it was cheap to make and easy to produce, and the government didn't particularly care about things like aesthetics or choice. So Zastava ended up making 900,000 Fikas over the next 20 years. Basically... Right up until Malcolm Bricklin came along. Malcolm Bricklin? Who's that? I'm glad you asked, Joe. The easiest way to describe Malcolm Bricklin is off-brand John DeLorean. But that's actually unfair to John DeLorean, who is much less of a con man, which is actually... John DeLorean, John DeLorean was not a con man. No, not really, no. 
In the words of Jason Vujic's book, The Yugo, The Rise and Fall of the Worst Car in History, as of May 1984, few people in the world had more experience with cheap, outmoded automobiles than Malcolm Bricklin. Before landing in the automotive industry, Bricklin had already run a series of epic failures, including a bankrupt chain of hardware stores, a jukebox company that played music and video at the same time, and multiple rackets involving scooter salesmanship. (laughs) But Bricklin failed upwards. By importing and selling scooters, he connected with Fuji Heavy Industries of Japan, the parent company of Subaru, which led him to found Subaru of America. That's how I know this name. I did not know that about Malcolm Bricklin. That is crazy. This, however, is way less impressive than it sounds. Today, we know Subaru as the world's premier car company with a twinkle as their logo. What? (laughs) What is it, nine stars? Not just a twinkle, bro. One of the fastest growing automakers in the U.S., uh, very successful. They've come a long way. But Bricklin's version was basically a scam to sidestep safety standards. He discovered that cars weighing less than 1,000 pounds were exempt from federal motor safety standards, meaning that they could be imported extremely cheaply. No matter what it looked like or how many wheels it had, regulators considered all sub-1,000 pound vehicles in the same category as motorcycles, and Subaru happened to make a little car that weighed 965 pounds. No way. That's tiny. This little machine, Joe, was called the Subaru 360 due to its 356 cubic centimeter engine displacement. I remember less the first than- time that Travis Pastrana did a Subaru 360. Everyone freaked the fuck out. It was awesome. But now <laughs> people are doing like Subaru 980s. 980s, yeah, landing slightly off center. <laughs> At less than 10 feet long and only 54 inches tall, taller than Joe. <laughs> Wait, did you just say I'm less than 10 feet tall? <laughs> yeah, less than less 54 inches tall. I got you. Do you even know we're about the same height? You might actually be taller than me, but I got you. It's This is the weirdest thing because you know that you're taller than me and you continue to perpetuate this lie that I'm taller than you. It's so toxic, dude. I'm sorry. We've, I didn't realize we stood I did back that. to back multiple times. At less than 10 feet long and only 54 inches tall, the Japanese public had nicknamed the car the Ladybug, but it sat four people and can go 55 miles per hour. So it was technically a car, <laughs> and it was also cheap as hell. Malcolm Bricklin could import them to the U.S. for $650 a piece and then sell them for less than $1,300. I mean, that's a good racket right there. Some good. That's, that's double the money, dude. Double the money. His last name is Bricklin. Should be Dublin. (laughs) (laughs) Stupid. Subaru gave Bricklin a sales license and enough 360s that he was able to borrow a fortune and build a lavish company headquarters in New Jersey, complete with murals of geishas and sumo wrestlers. However, his quote-unquote car was immediately panned by consumer reports that rated the car not acceptable. The magazine clocked the 360 going 0 to 50 in 37 and a half seconds. No way. And said that its bumpers were virtually useless against anything more formidable than a watermelon. (laughs) The review killed any hope of sales. And by 1971, Subaru of America was nearly bankrupt and Malcolm Bricklin was forced out. I didn't realize it was that early. 71's pretty. That's a long time, man. Do you know who would play Bricklin? In a movie? Brecken Meyer. Yeah, Brecken Meyer. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> 
We'll get back to more past guests, but right now, a word from our sponsors. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Bricklin quickly pivoted to a new company he called General Vehicle, or GV Inc. The company's first project was a gold-wing sports car called the Bricklin SV1. This guy was DeLorean before there was a DeLorean. He even built an elaborate prototype called the Bricklin Safety Vehicle 1 that included a Chrysler six-cylinder engine, a Datsun rear suspension, and additional parts from Opel, Chevrolet, and Toyota. Besides the doors, the other big selling point was a state-of-the-art, scratch-proof, acrylic body. Bricklin managed to convince the Canadian government to pour millions of dollars, (laughs) or loonies, into the (laughs) Bricklin SV1 in the early 70s. But despite the massive investment, the company only turned out 1,800 cars, most of which were atrociously built and barely ran. The car was a national embarrassment. The Bricklin song by legendary Canadian satirist Charlie Russell even finished number 17 on the Canadian country charts in 1975. His name was Weird Weird Charlie Russell. (laughs) Odd Charlie Russell. (laughs) New Brunswick's regional government finally pulled the plug on GV at the end of 1974. And by December 1975, Malcolm Bricklin was financially ruined. Bricklin faded from the auto scene for several years, channeling his entrepreneurial spirit and questionable decision-making into new business ventures like managing a soul singer and running a go-kart track. They go hand in hand. That's called range. But all that changed in 1982 when, by chance, he met a reporter at Road & Track magazine named Tony Simonera. Simonera sadly explained that he had left his previous job at Fiat after Fiat announced they were ceasing American sales. Bricklin and Simonera agreed that there was still a U.S. market for Fiat small cars and almost immediately went into business together. Simonera. Simonera. Simon Simonera. 
Their new company was called International Automobile Importers, and the first cars they sold were Fiat facsimiles built by the Italian coachmakers Pininfarina and Bertone. Bricklin used his status as the founder of Subaru <laughs> to convince the Italians to go into business with him, despite the massive and very public failure of his last venture. So no one was ever like, yeah, but isn't Subaru like out of business? <laughs> but his new business, Joe, wasn't any good either. The cars were expensive to bring up to American standards, which meant a ridiculous sticker price. And after three months of non-existent sales, IAI company CFO Ira Eldison told Bricklin in 1984, quote, we are 120 days from going out of business unless we find another car to import. And wouldn't you know it, Malcolm Bricklin found one. I'm so excited to figure out what car it is. I also like how you didn't even let me do an impression there. I'm sorry. Yeah, one of the only times Are he you could sorry? have ever flexed really. his Canadian accent. <laughs> yeah, dude, I could have done I was thinking, like, I just listened to the Smartless episode with Mike Myers. Oh, okay. <laughs> you can do it. Go ahead. Yeah, can we rerun that? Yeah, but keep keep this all in because I want... Okay, people to know, right. After three months of non-existent sales, IAI company CFO Ira Eldison told Bricklin in, in early 1984, quote... We're 120 days from going out of business, baby, unless we find another <laughs> car to import. <laughs> We've got to get what? our mojo back, baby. <laughs> <laughs> get in my belly. And once you know it, Malcolm Bricklin found one. I never realized how Canadian uh, Austin Powers was. Yeah, I just listened to a podcast with Mike Myers on it. So that's how they talk. First, Bricklin and Seminera tried to save IAI by importing Jaguars, but were rebuffed because a Jaguar execs could see that Bricklin was a walking bankruptcy hearing. However, as they were leaving their meeting with Jaguar in England, Bricklin noticed a Yugo idling on the street. Hmm. It suddenly seemed like the perfect solution to his woes. An even cheaper Fiat. Designed in 1978 by Fiat and Zastava engineers, the Yugo was originally known as the Zastava 102. It was intended to update the decades-old FICA and was based on the Fiat 127, which had been named European Car of the Year way back in 1972. Zastava's original version of the 102 had a 903cc 45-horsepower engine, the powertrain and chassis were identical to the Fiat 127, but its body shape and interior were slightly different. Uh, it was okay. 45 horsepower might not seem like a lot. Okay. But sometimes it's plenty. That's a, if you think about that in actual horses, that's a lot of horses pulling your car. Mm -hmm. That's like a lot. Yeah. It's like beating the beast level. My golf put down 59 wheel horsepower and that was in 2019 mm -hmm. and that's like uh it was fine to drive <laughs> it was a little slow <laughs> <laughs> the first zastava 102 rolled off the assembly line on november 29th 1980 the same day that communist yugoslavia had been founded in 1945 it was like an anniversary Malcolm Bricklin discovered the same model in London, but by then it was called the Yugo 45. Oddly, the name had nothing to do with Yugoslavia. 
So Stava changed the name because Renault had a European trademark on the number 102. <laughs> that's one of the funniest. I think we've made like a couple of videos about this, at least a couple of videos that like mention this. But like, yeah, Renault trademarked numbers. They, ha- they have the trademark or the right to use a zero in the middle that's digit. So that's dumb. why Porsche, the 911 is the 911. At first it was the 901, but Renault sued them. Yeah, craziness. The next name Zestaba chose was Yugo, starting with the letter J. In Serbo-Croatian, that word means a southeasterly wind on the Adriatic. So pleasant. it was chosen in uh, imitation of VW Scirocco and Passat, which also are wind-related names. And Gulf. Yeah? Gulf wind. Gulf jet stream. Uh, yeah. Scirocco means a dust-laden wind. <laughs> <laughs> Zastava quickly realized the J was very confusing and hard to pronounce for foreigners, so they eventually changed the name to Hugo with a Y. My name originally started with a Y. James? James. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it was pronounced James. <laughs> Unfortunately, after years of industrial expansion under Tito, by the early 80s, Yugoslavia found itself deeply in debt. The government's solution to this problem was to export as many goods as possible. They had tons of factories now, but the weak economy meant that there were limited internal buyers for products like the Yugo. So Sestava began exporting Yugos to several countries in Western Europe, including the car Bricklin saw. With the help of an American oil company that was deeply invested in Yugoslavia, Bricklin and Seminera set up a meeting with Yugoslav trade authorities in Belgrade. That was the first time that anyone from IAI inspected a Yugo. Seminera was shocked when he popped open the trunk and found rust patches inside. This was supposed to be a brand new vehicle. (laughs) Zastava's best sample to prove themselves to an American businessman. And there's rust in the trunk. You know what I say? Hey, free rust. (laughs) That's what you do say that a lot. Hey, make a lemonade. Then they toured the factory in Kragujevac. Seminar recalled that 20 years after the factory's grand opening, its floors were, quote, two inches thick with grease. Oh, God. <laughs> he noticed workers stamping out delicate sheet metal pieces for hoods and doors, then literally tossing them across the room into a bin. He watched them install broken parts on finished cars. But none of this mattered to Bricklin. He figured quality control problems were fixable. But another bankrupt company was not. So... In 1984, IAI added a new division, Yugo America. I keep butting with their name. Like IAI is the hardest acronym to say. I know, IAI. Oh, yeah, I work over at IAI. IAI. IAI, Yugo America division. IAI. You get on an airplane and the guy driving it is like, where do you work? IAI. Aye, aye, Captain. <laughs> <laughs> that June, Bricklin and Seminera got their first shipment of eight sample cars for full inspection. It was Seminera's job to make a list of all the changes that would be needed to bring the car up to snuff for American regulations and American consumers. The cars were divided up and sent out for testing. Several cars underwent emissions and safety tests, while Seminera took one home to study its quality, drivability, and appearance. What he found was that it failed in all three categories. Imagine that. In fact, a factory defect in the seat support nearly caused him to drive off a bridge 
during his initial test drive. Oh God, I want to know what that like an extra spring in the seat. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> How did that almost cause? Or maybe it was so uncomfortable he wanted to kill himself. Oh no, <laughs> the bridge was just ir- irrelevant at that point. Yeah. Undaunted, Seminara's final list of changes ended up being 419 items long. Oh my God, so close. After sending it overseas, you go America. He did it on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I, it can't be 420. Who am I? <laughs> I'm an edgelord. <laughs> After sending it overseas, Hugo America executives jokingly called it the four meter facts. It covered everything from safety and emissions to paint, windows, dashboard knobs, wipers, door handles, ashtrays, and screws. Seminara's itemizing also helped Yugo America and Zastava agree on a price for their import deal. 2000 bucks a car, $100 million in total over the course of several years. Of course, Yugo America had nowhere close to that amount of money, but Malcolm Bricklin never let that stop him before. The most important changes Seminara requested, apart from improved safety measures, were to the emissions system. The U.S. had much tighter standards than anywhere in Europe, and the Yugo's original carburetor had been designed way back in the 1960s. In other words, the Yugo polluted way too much to be sold in America. So, one of Seminera's first moves was hiring a company in Detroit to fit the car with an entirely new carburation system. Sounds like a job for a Weber, if you know what I mean. (laughs) Another problem with the company was Zastava itself. The company was woefully inefficient. It was owned by the state, and the state favored high employment, which meant that the Zastava factory had about six workers for every job. It also held a government-protected monopoly. So there was really no reason to worry about product standards. And finally, without a wider car industry in the country, there's very little in the way of institutional knowledge. But they don't want to just assign someone with cleaning up all the grease on the floor? The two inches of grease? Yeah, there should be someone with a scraper that just goes around. Yeah, or even take one of those like hoods that they just printed out or cut out and use the hood to like shovel (laughs) all the grease. Yeah. The Yugoslavs were eager to learn from Seminara and his team, but the Americans faced massive cultural hurdles in executing their plan to shape up the Yugo. In the Yugoslav economic system, there weren't things like promotions or raises to motivate workers. Zastava employees were in the habit of drinking plum brandy during every break, and sometimes even on the assembly line. It wasn't uncommon for Zastava's management team to end meetings with a toast. Nevertheless, the new and improved Yugo, which Bricklin dubbed the Yugo GV for good value, somehow passed emissions on April 1985. In addition to the new carburetor, the GV also had a somewhat bigger engine, 1.1 liter, 55 horsepower, did 0 to 60 in 14 seconds, at a top speed of 86 miles per hour. One thing you can say in Malcolm Bricklin's favor is that he correctly anticipated the mid-80s auto market. Interest in small cars had faded after the oil crisis of 1979 to the point that many American and Japanese automakers were vacating the market. There's really only one decent American subcompact, the Chevette. But Chevrolet was about to discontinue it. It was too costly a car to producer. (laughs) 
producer. I hardly know her. <laughs> Meanwhile, Japanese companies were forced to limit their American exports for political reasons. So they began focusing on higher end vehicles with a better profit margins. Uh, like Lexus. This is where Lexus came in. This was because Ronald Reagan was like, you can't bring as many cars in as you want. <laughs> yeah. You can't bring as many cars in as, as you want. And my wife says that just say no. So we're going to arrest my wife. the entire neighborhood. Besides the Chevette, the only sub $6,000 vehicles around were what the auto industry calls price leaders. That is cars with insanely cheap advertised prices to lure you to dealerships, but that are actually impossible to find. So when the Yugo arrived with a sticker price of just $3,990, it had immediate appeal to a huge section of the market. Poor people. Brickland also channeled his natural showmanship into tens of millions of dollars in free advertising for Yugo. Americans were naturally curious about a car from the communists, and some were outraged by it. Dealers signed up in bunches to get in on the ground floor, cutting Yugo America $30,000 deposits to do so. Consumers placed their own deposits to buy Yugo's sight unseen. Amid this frenzy, Yugo sold 1,050 cars in the first day. Is that a lot? I think sight unseen, that's a lot. Doesn't honestly sound like a lot. No. Like the Mustang sold out on its first day. <laughs> yeah, said the Bronco. The media ingeniously dubbed it Yugo Mania. And for the next six months, the Yugo was in newspapers, on TV, and generally everywhere you turned. And they hadn't even run a single ad yet. Brickland had delayed an ad blitz before launch due to low funds, but with dealers offering it at $99 down and $99 a month, it turned out that the Yugo didn't need much advertising. The only thing buyers needed to know was the price tag. One Cadillac slash Yugo dealer even offered <laughs> <laughs> a buy one, get one free promotion in which customers who purchased a $24,000 Cadillac received a complimentary Yugo. Well, if you're not interested in this Eldorado, I've got one other car to show you. <laughs> By the beginning of 1986, Yugo America had sold 3,895 cars, every single vehicle that Sestava had sent them so far. Managers back in Serbia had managed to assemble an A-team of workers who assembled only American Yugos and were running them three shifts per day, but they still couldn't keep up with demand. Wow. The Yugos seemed like such an immediate success that Chrysler approached Yugo offering $15 million to buy the company. But Bricklin and Simonera said, no! <laughs> that kind of scared me. <laughs> I'm just reading the script. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long time since I've seen an exclamation point in the script. <laughs> but Bricklin and Simonera said no. They thought they had another Honda or Mazda on their hands. They were incredibly, incredibly, incredibly <laughs> wrong. They should have taken that $15 million. Dude, uh, we all have a story. <laughs> 
We'll be right back with more of this story. But first, a word from our sponsors. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Several factors contributed to Hugo's plunge from the must-have Christmas gift of 1985 to an existential joke. For one thing, it inspired a legion of competitors from other far-flung nations. The Romanian Dasha, the Malaysian Proton, and Indonesian Lincoln Gama, the Indian Mahindra, the Greek Desta, the Russian Lada, the Spanish Legero, the Czechoslovakian Skoda, and most importantly, the Korean Hyundai. All of so these companies are around still. Mahindra's around, Dasha's around, um, Skoda, Hyundai. But Mahindra owns Pininfarina. Whoa, really? Wow. That's a come up right there. Yeah. All of these companies attempted to jump into the American market with similar bargain basement vehicles, but the Hyundai Excel managed to provide a much more reliable and comfortable ride than the Yugo for only slightly more money. Yugo America responded to Hyundai by pressuring Zastava to develop and build a second, larger Yugo model called the Florida. (laughs) (laughs) The Yugo Florida. Yeah. (laughs) But the facilities and materials available to Zastava on the meager budget provided by Yugo sales proved to be an impossible combination. In fact, the project actually hampered production of the Yugo GV and cost the company millions. I wonder if Florida meant something like more classy back then. Where it was I like, mean, like I think Florida might have been more classy back then. I'm starting to like see this as a movie, right? Yeah. Like House of Gucci. And like one thousand percent Adam Driver is the lead in it. <laughs> and he does Keith Franklin. Yeah, he does a terrible Canadian accent. We call him the Florida, eh? <laughs> More. <laughs> At the same time, American and Japanese companies were announcing plans to re enter the subcompact market after realizing that small cars were a key part of building brand loyalty with new buyers. Yugo dealerships also faced a loud public boycott from Croatian-American groups critical of the Yugoslav government. And Malcolm Bricklin's lavish spending plus fat salaries for he and his close associates left the company constantly strapped for cash, even during its high points. But the main thing hampering the company was that the Yugo sucked. As soon as reviews started pouring in, the company was sunk. There were definitely drivers who liked and even loved their Yugos, but in the end, no amount of Tony Simonera's expertise and Yugoslav elbow grease could consistently turn the Yugo into anything more than it was. A low-end Fiat reproduction that was 20 years out of date and made in a country with no history of automobile innovation. So I watched a video, like a walkthrough of a Yugo, and there's just like exposed bolts and screws and stuff in the cabin. Uh Everything is just like super cheap plastic that fades and cracks after like a year. Sounds like a a Chevrolet. (laughs) Dude, are you you aiming for a Chevy? 
I got him in my sights, dude. <laughs> While the death of Yugo America ended up happening via many small cuts over several years, Yugo Mania was dealt a swift killing blow by Consumer Reports. Sometimes referred to as the Bible of car buying, one in five Americans reportedly use Consumer Reports when car shopping. Damn, we, gotta, we should partner up with them. <laughs> <laughs> and it's especially important to the type of bargain hunters who would naturally be interested in the Yugo. But just like with the Subaru 360, the magazine tore Malcolm Brooklyn's car apart. They put a Yugo on the cover, writing that quote. Oh, you want me to do it now? Yeah. yeah. The price is the come on for the Yugo. Stop. But you can't buy it for $3,990. Comma, and it's hard to recommend it at any price. Full stop. <laughs> Consumer Reports' extensive testing found 21 factory defects in the Yugo that they secretly purchased from a dealer and shipped to their headquarters in Connecticut. <laughs> Connecticut. <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me, dude? <laughs> it's spelled Connecticut. <laughs> you pronounce so many like Eastern European words and you mispronounce Connecticut? Connecticut. Fuck off. <laughs> they also connected the Yugo shoddy workmanship <laughs> to Malcolm Bricklin's previous failures. <laughs> when I see you later, I'm going to strangle you. <laughs> I'm not going to kill you, but you're going to like start to pass out and yeah. I'll let you go. You're Let's the, you're the bring donuts, on, dude. greasy strangler. Bring it on, dude. <laughs> dude, no, I don't want, I regret that because Nolan is really like ready to fight. <laughs> Ready to Nolan texted me on Saturday night. He was like, I want to do the creator clash. Yeah. Oh, where you fight other creators? Yeah. Yeah. Who would you fight? Who would even stack up? Drew Gooden? Drew Look, I'm going to wait. I'm 225, Joe. I'm way bigger than him. No, he's like seven feet tall. Did he is Nolan tall. Would, it would be like embarrassing. Like, we couldn't do that. <laughs> no one would destroy him. I, I think the closest thing, like Whistle and Diesel is too small. Yeah. Keep yeah. this in. Whistle and Diesel is too small. Maybe Cletus. Oh, maybe Cletus. Yeah. Yeah. Cletus is maybe probably Cletus. six foot two. He looks tall. Yeah. Why do you think height is what we're looking for? Because I think like uh, reach is a big thing. Reach is a big thing, but also so is weight. No, weight's yeah. the number one thing. So we're looking. That's why weight. they put them in weight classes, and well, that's why it's oh, interesting yeah. when there's different heights. Yeah. What about Maddie Matheson then? <laughs> no, you're not allowed to touch him. He's an angel. <laughs> I think the closest thing I've come up with is Chris Fix and <laughs> that dude in blue. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but that might be too circusy. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait. All right. I think we might have to look outside the car If there's anyone space. in YouTube who wants to fight Nolan Sykes at the Creator Clash, hit me up at Mrs. Harry Styles at gmail.com uh, or info at donut.media. What's your uh, other Lieutenant up. James at uh, LAPD. Lieutenant dot James at LAPD.io. <laughs> <laughs> we bought uh, LAPD.io. Just for reference, Nolan is six foot tall, 225. We could probably cut to 200. That's a lot to cut. That'd be a lot. Yeah. But have, like light heavyweight, heavyweight bout is what it would be. So yeah. Jake Paul hit us up. Oh, he would destroy me. <laughs> He's done like three it. fights. Like, like professional fights. 
Yeah. <laughs> I would love mess to see me you get beat up. What? Why would you say that to a friend? <laughs> I want to see you win, but also like if like Logan Paul wanted to destroy you, I'd be like, hell yeah, let's do it. I just I've never seen you mad like that. So I want to see well, you, you don't want to you don't want to be mad in a fight. Why? What if you beat Jake Paul? That'd be pretty cool. But like all of a sudden you'd be on the international stage. Yeah, that's true. From but all also, my experiences, you could be Rocky. Rocky <laughs> was an idiot. <laughs> and I'm yeah. I'm a very much an idiot. And you're so. smart. So he went against Apollo. You've got brains and bronze. Yeah. Jake Paul. Don't I'm Have not calling wait. out Jake Paul. <laughs> Jake Paul, Nolan Sykes. Yeah. And if we can't get Jake Paul, let's get FaZe Rug and we'll get you in the ring together. Sounds good. Jake okay, Paul, I will bet you a million dollars Back at Consumer Reports, their review concluded uh, that all readers consider a used car rather than buying a new Yugo oh for the same God, price. That's... I mean, that's kind of... <laughs> it was disastrous. The damage to Yugo's sales was immediate, and it only grew as other journalists ran with the story. The article came out in January 1986, and Yugo sales dropped by 39% in February. That same month, NHTSA issued a mandatory recall of all 9,500 Yugos sold so far. All the cars needed was a new washer to fix a possible seatbelt malfunction, but the PR was devastating. Honestly, that's a big malfunction. Further bad news came when the NHTSA leaked that the Yugo had flunked their safety testing as well. Within weeks of the height of Yugo mania, the car was a national joke. Literally, Jay Leno would joke about it nearly every night for decades. <laughs> I love Jay Leno. He's been very nice to me, but he's definitely a fucking op. <laughs> what? <laughs> Dude, Jay Leno is definitely an op. An op against Yugo? He's a CIA op. And Ferrari. Jay Leno's an op, for sure. <laughs> what if I get assassinated? <laughs> <laughs> By like a hit squad in all jean jackets? <laughs> yeah, they were like, we were letting you like kind of like ride, but like when you caught out Jay. <laughs> Although Malcolm Bricklin would go into extensive <laughs> maneuverings to try and bail out the company, in the end, it wasn't enough. By 1989, Hugo America was bankrupt. Ah, oh, man. Thanks, Leno. Despite a fat payout, Malcolm Bricklin soon declared bankruptcy too. But he wasn't done with the Yugo just yet. Zastava survived the Serbian civil war by making AK-47s because he can't keep a good weapons maker down. And in 2002, Forbes magazine reported that Zastava had signed a new deal with Bricklin. Again? Yeah. Under the deal, Bricklin's new company, ZMW, would import a new Yugo, <laughs> a new Florida, <laughs> a new pickup truck. Bricklin agreed to pay Serbia $150 million for 80% of Zastava, while the Serbian government would assume Zastava $200 million uh, plus in debts. Yo, did you see that new ZMW N3? <laughs> ZNW is pretty good. Dude, ZNW is really good. The N3. Yeah. I the I don't like the big rear grill. <laughs> <laughs> like I like the 
like everything else about it, but the rear grill looks like um, a whale's butt. <laughs> that deal fell apart. In 2008, Zastava was acquired by Fiat itself, and the factory that used to build Fiat ripoffs now builds actual Fiat's. At least for now, the Yugo's legacy as the worst car ever is secure. But the Yugo was really just a run-of-the-mill bad car that had a publicity-hungry owner and auspicious timing. In several of the famous tests that gave the Yugo a bad name, it didn't even finish in last place. But America loves a story. In a way, that's what Malcolm Bricklin knew all along. Dude, the I end. Mean, that's this the car story. like sucked, but like didn't probably suck as hard as it. So like it, this car got like canceled because of uh, the Cold War. Do you guys think the Yugo is the worst car to ever exist? Mm-mm. No, SN197 Mustang. <laughs> <laughs> no, as we learned, that's a five-star crash test rating. Yeah. No, it's by far not the worst car. I think it's like a sort of a victim of, I think it was a bad business decision to try and sell a communist built car in America yeah. in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. obviously, like yeah. the, and like yeah, it was sniped because of that. But it doesn't necessarily look bad. It looks like a Mark One GTI or something. It looks like a Golf. Yeah, um, it was probably fine. But yeah, I, and the reason that you know, at least like according to our research, the reason that it was publicly destroyed was like magazines. Yeah, the safety. I mean, the safety test didn't help it out at all yeah and having a single washer be the cause of a seatbelt failing is not not great i think there's like like that's also like really one washer i think the modern equivalent is like the wish.com cars that you can buy no it's not it's not no 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 i think i think the yugo was unfairly represented in america i think so i think you're right that it was there was an op against it for sure 100 percent. it was yeah. like a publicity thing this thing sucks russia sucks like fuck right like they're trying to build it's made out of recycled coke cans you know like <laughs> this, this car was probably fine it was probably as good as a lot of other imported cars at the time it was like a renault no it's if you if you looked at this walkthrough of the car it's like shoddily built. Like this thing looks like they should have added panels on the inside, but they never got to it. Like it's well, that cheap. level of un un like a race car finished. <laughs> okay, yeah, you're right. It's a race car. Uh, factory race car. <laughs> uh, car guys ask for it till they give it to us, and then uh, we complain about it. Factory race, race car. car. <laughs> Failed because you guys didn't buy it. (laughs) It's our fault. (laughs) Well, we got uh, a letter from Sal this week. He writes, hey, guys, was listening to the Carlos Science family episode, which was great, and was inspired to go check out the McRae series. At the time, I had the opportunity to go down to L.A. with my family and watch those X games, which is always awesome. But as a 16-year-old Subaru fanatic as well, having the Rallycross event be part of the games was also like a dream come true. Got a chance to meet McRae, Pastrana, and Block, who are all really nice guys. Uh, Thanks for the rally episodes and keep up the good work. Your podcast keeps me occupied and laughing through all the day. 
Cheers, Sal Rizzo. Thanks, Sal. Big shout out to Sal Rizzo. Thank you very much for the kind email. If you'd like to email the show, hit us up at passgas at donutmedia.com. Um, we might read it on the air. It doesn't have to be nice. It just has to be interesting. Yeah, we, are, we love uh, corrections too. So if we spouted out some BS, uh, call us out. We'll read it yeah. on air. You'll get your vindication. Please do. All right. Follow the boys at Joji Weber. Follow James Pumphrey at James Pumphrey. Follow me at Nolan J. Sykes. Big thank you to our producer this week, Gavin Kinsell, and our writer, Greg Nix. Uh, tell a friend about the show. See ya. Bye. <laughs>